is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. The 13th century Persian poet Rumi famously wrote, Let the beauty you love be what you do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. This week, we're speaking about this both figuratively and literally with Finian Makepeace of Kiss the Ground, an organization, a book, a movement, and a mindset. Kiss the Ground works to restore soils worldwide by promoting and developing models that accelerate the adoption of regenerative agriculture. Finian joins us via Skype to share more. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Let's get started with your earliest experiences in life, whether you were five or whether you were 25, in which you became a plant-loving, nature-loving person, Finian? I grew up, uh, the majority of the beginning of my life, I was homeschooled and grew up out in the country and had an amazingly uh, green-thumb-abled mother who had a large garden that myself and my three brothers did a lot of work in and everything from composting to planting from seed and watching the whole process. I think for me, the astonishing thing to be able to see something as a child that was kind of gross, like compost turn into amazing, fluffy, um, beautiful black soil was something that was just sensible you could you could get it even as a young child you could get the the magnitude of how epic that was that this stuff that was considered waste before turned into this amazing substance that wasn't just good for the plants but inherently felt good to touch and mm-hmm. to to spread around and so yeah I, I think i had a great introduction to connecting to the land in that way connecting to gardening connecting to the soil and to compost and in a way that felt good having a mother who was who was very tuned in with it and was always inviting us and having us be a part of of that process from a very young age uh, and then growing up uh, homeschooled um, next to a woods I spent a majority of my childhood uh, in the woods and so there was ample time to absorb the amazing phenomenons of nature and its processes and the seasons. I was grew up in upstate New York, uh, as well as the other founder, actually, the other founder of Kiss the Ground, Ryland, also grew up in upstate New York. Uh, and our families were friends uh, back a long, long time ago. So that was that was a really important part of, of it, too, is being able to see the changes and witness them and take the time as a child uh, and just sit you know, watching a, a stream or a brook or watching as buds develop, turn into leaves and flowers and watching the whole process. So, yeah, and then earlier after earlier school for me was a homeschool program that was three days a week um, from, you know, nine to three style. And uh, there we did a lot of hands on learning with, um, you know, going in, into nature, sitting with nature um having thing doing things like bud drawings watching the whole process unfold and documenting it and then Ithaca the my hometown is is how place where where Cornell University is mm-hmm. as a young child in this in this homeschool program we would go to Cornell University 
And a lot of these professors would take time and teach us things that were probably way ahead of our age bracket or whatever we were supposed to be learning at the time, but we were getting some uh, pretty in-depth um, attention to be able to look at, at what's happening and, and get taught everything from geology to soil biology. Um, so that was my early childhood. So, you know, from three to 10, um, having experiences like that and being able to take the time, I think was one of the most important things uh, that later on in my life, when I got back into this stuff that really made the connection. Yeah, that cultivating of those skills, going into the forest, observing, paying attention, um, valuing those things, I think that is so crucial to our own ability to reconnect with it as adults, perhaps. So talk about your your journey from there. You go on to do what before you co-found Kiss the Ground? Um, I have been in music for most all my life and um, have been an activist as well throughout that time. So um, I was in Ithaca and then I moved to San Francisco um, and then came down to Los, Los Angeles all the while doing music stuff. Uh, I ended up studying political science at UCLA, which policy stuff is a big passion of mine. Um, and did music in Los Angeles for the past 15 years. And then as the co-founding of Kiss the Ground happened, that's usurped a lot more of my life in the past three, four years. Uh, so music has started to be more of a side thing and Kiss the Ground is now my full-time thing. So that, that's that been a big big transition for my life. But So yeah, touring musician, um, doing shows and including a lot of our activism work in our um, in our music and in the movements of, of being a part of shows and events that are highly related to causes for the environment or causes for human rights or a number of things. So And so um, talk about that moment of the inception of Kiss the Ground. I do love that that thread or these threads of music and political action and it seems like a perfect confluence of energies to move forward together somehow. There's such a nice history of it in our world. Yeah, it uh, it definitely ended up having a, a unique connection. Um, so this inception story for me uh, goes as follows. Um, being an activist musician, you know, when it feels right you're, or when it happens naturally, you, you write songs that have to do with what you're thinking about. It just so happened for me that I had had a dream about a year or so before the inception of Kiss the Ground. I had a dream that I was an old man um, and global climate change had wreaked havoc on the whole world. Um, you know, billions of people died and been moved around. And I was in a refugee camp in Brazil. And in this dream, my granddaughter wakes me up in the middle of the night and she sneaks me under a fence um, for the refugee camp. And we walk for miles and miles. And as the dawn approaches, we look over this hill 
and we see a city that's just completely destroyed, lays in ruin. And uh, she looks up at me with tears streaming down her face. And uh, she says, why didn't you do anything to stop this from happening? And uh, that moment is still a really big impetus for my uh, move over to a higher, uh, urgent, and bigger vision of my activism. So a year later, uh, approximately a year later, uh, Ryland came back from uh, – Ryland, who's the other co-founder. He's the owner of Cafe Gratitude, a restaurant here in Los Angeles, and he had been in New Zealand and – seen a panel of scientists talking about can human beings sustain themselves on planet earth and all the scientists uh, i think there were six in total all pretty much agreeing that the numbers are saying that we're pretty doomed based on our current trajectories and the last guy agreed with everyone and he said yes but there's this whole thing that's been uh, neglected or or not included in this whole climate change conversation and that's the soil. And he proceeded to talk about very briefly um, about this connection between carbon in the atmosphere and carbon in the ground yeah. uh, as soil. And that for Ryland, the light bulb went off and he came back and started talking to people about it, myself included, being like, hey, have you heard about this? And for me, being a climate activist and not really getting what he was communicating, I was like, oh, I don't really know what you're saying. And it just so happened that Graham was coming to California and Ryland convinced him to stop in L.A. And Ryland is a very convincing person. I uh, got Graham to stop in L.A. for a day and he we set up an auditorium and I put all the sound together and we created an event. And uh, Graham talked for four hours at a little auditorium. And the, the follow up of the story of the of my dream is I created a song. My father and I wrote a song together. It's called 2060. And um wrote a song about that dream and the second half of the song is uh is the different version that we made up that my my partner has a my wife has a different dream that's opposite um so we kind of made up that part but anyway i played the song um to kind of introduce graham and um he talked for four hours and for me it was just a series of light bulb moments going off in my head as he drew these connections between the, the connection between soil health and the carbon in soil to the whole climate change equation and drew out this new perspective, this new view that I had not been privy to. And for me, um, to jump back to my high school uh, time, I was included in some studies with Cornell University through my biology class where we were actually studying mycorrhizal fungi networks mm -hmm. and their relationship to oak groves communicating uh, to defend themselves on airborne diseases that were somewhere around 15 to 30 miles apart. And they were stunned that it turned out that the mycorrhizal fungi networks were actually the reason that these plants, you know, miles and miles away from each other could actually defend themselves is because the signals that were sent from one grove to another uh, were, were saying, hey, you got to get your antidote out. So I was a part of that study, very, very, in a very small part, but I helped wow. with that study with Cornell. So as he's talking about mycorrhizal fungi and all these things, for me as a science geek, uh, it was really 
amazing because I was like, if this is all true, this totally makes sense. And it's so big and it's such a big, huge part. So that night we went back, myself, Ryland and Graham and a couple others went back to Ryland's house and we sat in the living room and we were like, okay, so if this is all real, uh, we have to, do, we have to do something to share this message. Um, it's just because at that point, um, if you looked online, there was really nothing uh, digestible for a lay person to understand this stuff and to get this message. So it was it was literally that night that we dedicated. We didn't know we didn't have kiss the ground as a name. We just dedicated to how to spread this message. That was the number one call to action. Was how do we tell this story? From that point on, we basically from that day uh, we dedicated to every Monday we would host a gathering um, of people to be able to come and learn about this and talk about what we can do. And within a year, Kiss the Ground was born. Um, we switched from evening meetings, opened everybody to Monday morning meetings with the team. And it, and it, you know, it was big. There was 30 people meeting every week. It was crazy, you know, just insanity of trying to start a nonprofit or we didn't even know what we were going to start. And then it, you know, kind of collapsed in on itself because it was just too crazy and we didn't know what we were doing. So we kind of sussed out where we wanted to go with everything, Ryland and myself, and went the nonprofit direction. And then from there, Kiss the Ground was born. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're speaking today with Finian Makepeace of Kiss the Ground, an organization he and his friend Ryland Engelhart founded in the spring of 2013. Their work focuses on the concept that healthy soil changes everything, and they work to restore soils worldwide by promoting and developing models that accelerate the adoption of regenerative agriculture, large-scale and home scale. Finian's commitment to the work started with one painful and cautionary foreshadowing dream. We'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to speak more with Finian Makepeace of Kiss the Ground. The mission of Kiss the Ground is to see humanity living regeneratively. The group ardently believes and educates for a shift in mindset and understanding. They articulate their belief that together we can solve the greatest challenge of our time, climate change. The science and technology exist. Now it's up to all of us to bring our hearts, our will, and our action. Welcome back. That is a pretty powerful origin story. Not only the the power of the dream that you had, but then also that connection of listening to the scientist and having those light bulb moments and that remembrance of being part of that study and that, you know, those those connection patterns of the mycorrhizal fungi and what we're learning about them and how much more we, we need to learn, of course, but how much yeah. good work is really going on around the country to do with this at Cornell, at UC Davis, you know, across mm-hmm. the globe. About a year ago, we ran an interview with Deborah Coons, the filmmaker mm-hmm. behind Symphony of the Soil. And that was really, I, I was very aware of mycorrhizal fungi and their importance. And I was aware of this communication ability in groves of related plants to you know, sort of speak to each other and help 
defend. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it really, that whole concert of, um, of connectivity and possibility is so, it gives us hope, right? Because we need hope. And to, to, to hear that there might be some is really powerful, I think. So give us an overview of where Kiss the Ground is now. Was Kiss the Ground named after the Rumi poem? Yes, yeah. Kiss the Ground was named after the Rumi poem. Um, I would love to do that. I wanted to reply to what you just said, though. Um, yes. As far as the magnitude of that world, it is so un- understood. And one thing to think about, just in terms of relating it to how crazy humans are, um, the amount of money that's been spent to explore the cosmos, the planets and everything beyond, which makes sense. We look at it and we're in awe and wonder. Um, if you look at the amount of funding that's been put in to research that, and then you look at the amount of funding that's been put in to research our own atmosphere, and then you look at how much funding has been put in to study plant biomass, how it works. And then you look at how much money has been spent to study the microscopic life forces of the soil. It's a pretty uh, amazing giant reverse pyramid of, of uh, funding that's been spent. So if we were to think logically for human survival and the dependence we have on soil for everything living on land especially – um, if we reverse that even now today, just reverse that, we would have a tremendous amount of funding to figure out what's happening and the significance and the roles. But at this point, with such skimpy amount of funding for the soil, which is, again, the, the basis for everything on life uh, on land like that we know of today, of life on land, We are dependent upon foundations and certain people who have learned about this as being a really important thing to to do to put their funding in. But we have nowhere near the amount of funding that is available for studying the cosmos or studying even the atmosphere or plant biomass. Um, So it's a really interesting lack of attention is actually at this point scary if we don't switch it soon and start to figure out how we can help and work with nature to proliferate these amazing uh, biological systems that have been set up or technologies that have, have 500 million years of research and development to be to help us regenerate the planet. We are doing ourselves a major disservice. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah. The, the potential there is literally unlimited because that's how nature developed itself and worked and we can restore and regenerate more than we ever thought possible. So now on to describing Kiss the Ground. Yeah, describe yeah. Who, who is involved at this point and what does your activism look like in its programs and outreach? Yeah, Kiss the Ground mainly is operating off of a theory of change of views, shape actions that shape outcomes. Yep. So meaning like, you know, if you just to give people an example out there, if you brush your teeth at night, it's before you go to bed, it's from a view that brushing your teeth is a good idea, and that causes the action of brushing your teeth, which causes the outcome of not having teeth fall out of your head. So 
it's a good it's a good view to have. Um, so changing a view uh, right now, why we're so keyed in on changing the view and why our work is primarily revolved around media and creating the stories to tell this idea is because we feel primarily that the view, current view, is not uh, allowing for the actions to take place that need to happen. So mm-hmm. our work in media, everything from short form, one minute uh, videos and infographics to three minute more uh, um, more developed media pieces like the soil story or the compost story where we use celebrities and, and get people to be able to, to understand these macro scale subjects and then to bigger things like the documentary which is coming out next year um, and the book kiss the ground and the documentary kiss the ground the book's coming out this november um these are ways that we can get this idea to the forefront and help the movement globally to push this further and it's been amazing not just our work but the work of of the movement of regenerative agriculture movement and the soil health movement really making tremendous strides over the last three years in getting, um, if you look at the trending graph or whatever we want to call it, of how many more articles are coming out each week or than were four years ago on this subject. It's just astonishing. It's really exciting. Mm-hmm. So that's Kiss the Ground's main objectives are around communicating this idea um, things like we're doing right now, all the way to to uh, presenting this material to brands and policymakers. Um, so we're moving more in that direction, moving more in the direction of connecting the the people who have the means to to dictate how farming is done to the farmers and getting that connection solidified and helping move it forward, where farmers. Uh, we'll soon be able to be getting help, hopefully, from these brands that are buying from them. So that's where we're moving towards heavily uh, with the momentum of the film. Um, we also have curriculum for, um, you know, middle schoolish, generally people who are diving into photosynthesis in sixth to eighth grade or so. Um, but we have a new curriculum that's going out and being uh, tested this fall in in California and in Oregon. Um, so that's really exciting and that's going to be rolling out next year. Um, so that's education part of our, what we do. Um, and then we're moving into, and our executive director is, is asking that we don't tell all of the programming that we have because we're going to be launching it in the the coming year. So there's more stuff that's coming down the pipe. That's much more involved with, being able to get involved in this. So we encourage people to stay involved with Kiss the Ground, sign up for our email list so that they can go onto Facebook, become a become a, a Facebook fan of Kiss the Ground so that we can keep in touch with you. But there's a lot of things rolling out very soon with the momentum of the film that are going to be much more uh, available for people to get involved in direct action, uh, direct soil restoration projects, uh, et cetera. So. I have seen quite a bit of your short 
platform videos and graphics on Instagram and they are they're they're beautiful and they're well done and they're informative and they're accurate. Uh, the the compost story was one of them. Describe for listeners this compost story and how the the infographic works. Um, not works, but like describe the infographic. So the compost story, uh, we we created the soil story and Ryland, the other co-founder, is the narrator of that. And that was really a new view of the carbon cycle was one of the main talking points of that was kind of like, you know, carbon's not the enemy. It's just in the wrong places because of our actions. And it's, you know, bringing people's attention to this amazing, huge, vast storehouse of carbon called soil so that we can help rebuild by helping nature rebuild it um, through regenerative agriculture. So then the compost story was a logical follow up to that because of the immense amount of work in municipalities and states around the country and throughout the world. Um, a lot of focus and attention is being brought to the amount of waste that is going to the landfill that is literally organic that is full of nutrients full of life and is just being thrown away and creating methane in in the landfills um so what what i did for the compost story was i brought together first some of the major stakeholders in the compost world Uh, these are compost producers uh, the association of compost producers for california the u.s composting council and i got a committee together that essentially met every week uh and started this process of what is this going to be look like so i i started scripting it out and developing it and then we put a pitch deck together that i sent out to certain celebrities who as to who i was targeting and basically the idea was can we tell this story of compost the 2.0 of compost compost as a regenerative substance a lot of people think of compost as yeah it's a good fertilizer it helps my plants or whatever but they're not really grasping the magnitude of the biology in the compost jump-starting the carbon pump and the ability for soil to become this carbon storage shed. So uh, utilizing the life in the soil as this probiotic, it's a really great way to think about it yeah. because that's literally what it is. Uh, it's not just adding you know, more soil to soil, you're adding a probiotic, which is jump-starting the life of more of those those organisms that are helping the plant, encouraging the plant to feed its sugars into the ground. So this, the compost story is a combination of graphics that are explaining this and a combination of the celebrities on screen who are really calling attention to this this 2.0 of composting. So that's that was the original design of it, and it now has been disseminated and is being used by pretty much all the major players in the compost industry, which is was one of the big goals of it, and cr- allowing for more of the advocates of compost to have something, a tool to, to use, similar yeah. as the soil story is used by uh, a lot of the soil advocates around the world, is simplifying the concept in, you know, three to five minutes to say, here's, here's what I'm trying to say, right. here's why compost is regenerative. I could give you, you know, 15-page s- slide pr- presentation and you might not get it. Why don't you just watch this? This is why it's so important. So, that was really exciting to bring the compost community together and give them a tool and give advocates for composting a tool. So you can find that at kissetheground.com or at thecomposteststory.com. Um, and then next, I'm creating the regenerative agriculture story, which is the one I'm most excited about. I'm writing it right now. And what will that focus on? And, and not only what will that focus on, but describe or explain 
why you are focusing on regenerative agriculture. And so what will that story include? And then I want to talk a little bit about that the, the worldview we're trying to change and, and get mm. to some of unpacking that a little bit more. That's my favorite subject. I think we can combine your first question about this new view with the regenerative ag story. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about in the beginning, I talked about kiss the grounds uh, theory of change um, being that we're taking people from a new view, which creates new actions, which create the new outcomes. So when I'm referring to that, I'm mostly saying, look, our current viewpoint is stuck. And my argument, I just shared a, a slideshow with you all, so you can open that if you want to go along with me on this. But if you go to slide eight, what I'm describing here is degenerative, sustainable, and regenerative. When I started introducing the concept of regenerative to people mm -hmm. about a year and a half ago, really pushing this idea of regenerative, I had a lot of head nods, people being like, yeah, I get what you're saying, people who've been in an environmental movement for quite some time. And I realized I was having an issue because when they repeated back to me what I said, I said, so what, what, what do you think I'm saying? Overwhelmingly, the response was, yeah, you know, put back what you take out, you know, like, and people would draw that circle with their hand, their fingers in the air, you know, like, yeah, that, that whole, like, it's all one system. Put back what you take out. And I was like, okay, you're describing sustainable. Right. And what most people's brain goes to when they're thinking of sustainable is that kind of that three arrows, the, the recycling symbol. And it makes total sense, right? You should put back what you take out. Unfortunately, currently the state of the world is extremely degenerated. And my argument or my thesis statement on this is human beings, since we started agriculture about 10,000 years ago, have been noticing as we're interacting with nature to get our, our needs met with food and fiber and fuel, we have seen degradation of the land. Everything from using tilling or using animals to, and we end up overgrazing, the result and the response of that is nature declining, its biodiversity decreasing, and its shrinking of its potential, its fertility. So a concept, to put this into a context, when a farmer leaves their field fallow, they are letting it rest so that nature can recover and regenerate. So that, in a nutshell, is a degenerative viewpoint or context that relationship that we have with nature. We expect that as we use and take from nature, we will then be needing or depleting it. Therefore, we need to let it rest and recover on its own. Therefore, our involvement with it is inherently degenerative. That's what our assumption is. Right. So my argument is sustainability or sustainable and conservation is a reaction to our degenerative relationship with nature. We see the destruction, we see the extraction, we see the degeneration of land as we're using it, and we start to say, oh my God, there isn't an unlimited supply of this. We're going to run out. We must do less harm. We must take less from the land. We have to slow down. So that concept of sustainable, of put back what we take out, 
is a reaction, first of all, to de- a degenerative context. But why it's so important to lay that out before we talk about regenerative is to say uh, when we are looking at how degenerated the planet is, to say that we need to sustain what's already been degenerated is, I think, not enough of, of an insight. So I think in terms of the environmental movement, they're locked into a reactionary conversation. We call it the A conversation. So degenerative and sustainable are both in the same category. Regenerative is in a different category. We call that the B section. It's a completely different way of operating. When we talk about regenerative, to look at it as a B conversation, a separate conversation from sustainable or degenerative, we're then setting ourselves up to really unlock the potentiality that is available or lies in front of us with regenerative as the new context for humanity's relationship with nature. What I mean by that is we have this ability to take degenerated areas and restore them, right? Everyone would would kind of agree with you, be like, yeah, look at this area, see, look, we can help restore it, yet we are still acting generally okay with the fact that our farming is completely degenerative and that most of our interactions with nature are completely degenerative. Yet people would believe you when, when you showed them proof of like, look, here was the before picture, here's the after picture, here's what we did to help regenerate this system by helping nature do what it does best um, and coaching nature through that and you know knowing what we know with the science and, and helping the whole system. So looking at that potentiality curve of regenerative, instead of the circle, the put back what you take out, we're talking about a diminished starting, very diminished, and an outward spiral of more and more abundance. It's 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 representing the trophic cascades, the amount of ecosystem holding capacity and biodiversity that are created when you're in a regenerative system that all of nature works in. So to give reference, everything in nature regenerates. You put a a tree out, it grows seeds, it grows a forest from all those seeds. Everything is working in a regenerative cycle to balance and enhance the ability for that system to uh, withstand drought or withstand fire or whatever it might withstand. So that's kind of where we're talking about when we're when we're talking about regenerative, we have to be able to assess that and put into context that we are coming from a different viewpoint. Mm-hmm. We need to switch to a regenerative outlook on life and how it, how humans can be a keystone species for regeneration and instead of a keystone species for degeneration and sustainability. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're speaking this week with Finian Makepeace of Kiss the Ground. In our conversation, Finian references a slideshow with visual representations of the difference between regenerative, sustainable, and degenerative. These slides can be found on the cultivatingplace.com website in the weekly episode write-up. We'll be right back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place. Conversations on Natural History and the Human Impulse to Garden. Finian Makepeace, co-founder with Ryland Engelhart of Kiss the Ground, believes that an important change we as humans need to make if we are going to make a difference is to stop seeing ourselves as only a keystone species for degeneration and destruction and to begin to re-envision ourselves as a potentially keystone species 
for regeneration. In accepting and claiming this power, we stand a better chance of living up to the responsibilities inherent in it. We're back after a break to hear more. Welcome back. I am just, I'm blown away by this very subtle but so important shift in what you're saying. And it's, it's, it's great. I, 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 I was with you before, but um, <laughs> this idea of switching that understanding of who we can be here and not, not necessarily coaching nature, but at least setting nature up for the success we know she can accomplish. Right. And I don't mean coaching might not be the best, but the why I say coaching is the metaphor of, you know, you're, you're getting ready for the Olympics and your athlete is a crack addict who's in the corner who's been totally mangled and life is terrible being like you're going to run the olympics next year isn't really fair and why i'm saying that is the sustainable view is still oh no we messed up nature let nature rest and do what she does that will take a really long time right and it's not fair because of how much we've raked her and broken her and just beat the heck out of her so in that sense, the recovery period is on us and we can help. Yeah. It's not like it's all on us because once we, once we set the conditions, the life that comes back instantaneously is mind-boggling. But the conditions are so unripe, so unset for it that nature is totally scabbed up and hurting and in a really vulnerable position. And we need to utilize our science and what we know now to help it get back to those conditions where it can thrive and regenerate itself faster. Yeah. So that's what, what I'm saying in the coaching element of it is not is not like nature needs a coach because nature knows how to do it. But nature, we've we've just we've extremely beat it up. So it's not really fair to leave it on its own. So now um, to put this in a, a little more perspective of how how it works, why regeneration makes sense and for people to get an even further perspective shift the common question I ask people is, where does a tree come from? So that's a question for you guys. Where does the tree come from? The substance of a tree, where does it come from? It comes from the soil. That's the answer. Everyone would say that's where it comes from. But if that was the case, wouldn't there be quadrillion, billion holes all over the world? Well, no, because it is a process of creating the the alchemy of a seed with a soil, with the water, with the air that grows into a tree. It doesn't start as an actual tree. So you said the air. Yeah. So when we look at the totality of a tree and the substance of it, right, and plants. Yes. Mass amount of the plant is made of water. But yes. the structure of the plant comes from the air. So again, changing the view is really important here. For us to really grasp the potential of regeneration and to see hope in a degenerated, desertified place, we need to comprehend how epic this system really is and how it works. If we say, if 95%, including myself a while ago, if we say a plant or tree comes from the soil, we are largely mistaking ourselves and putting a, a barrier between what's possible with regeneration. So now think about this. Photosynthesis takes carbon from carbon dioxide that's in the air, 
combines it with water from H2O, creates carbohydrates. That's the sap, the liquid in the tree. And it builds itself with that, those carbohydrates. Right. With those sugar molecules, it builds the structure of the plant or the tree. So then when you're saying, okay, the structure came out of thin air, and why I stress this is we refer, our context of air is nothing. Right. That's important to recognize. For all of us, we refer to this blanket air around us as nothingness. But in reality, if a plant is made from nothingness, and animals eat plants, we eat the animals, or we just eat the plants, and we are made from the nothingness, that perspective shift, when we go into a desertified area or a beaten down farm, and we say to ourselves, okay, all of the abundance we need, whether it's nitrogen or, or um, uh, carbon from carbon dioxide, it's all here. How can we help the system help build itself back? Because if you go to slide, uh, if you go to slide 16, that's the explanation of trees and plants built from thin air. And then you go to slide 17, I'm saying healthy soil is also built from thin air. And if we grasp that, if we grasp that the plant is creating those carbohydrates to build itself, right? Yes. It's not just doing that. It's actually sharing 30 to 40, sometimes 50, sometimes 80% of those sugars, liquid sugars. It's pushing out of its root systems into the soil to feed the soil biology like the mycorrhizal fungi and the bacteria. And that is where our soil comes from. What we learned in the textbooks years ago, and finally it's changing, majority of our thought of where soil comes from is that leaves and things fall to the ground and they decompose and they turn into soil. Yes, that's true, but that's only about 10% in most systems. That is only about 10% of what remains is long-term soil. Because that process is continuous and most of the stuff that falls to the ground is consumed by organisms, which means it is um, turned into energy, which means the CO2 goes back into the atmosphere. The majority of the stored carbon comes from the plant roots exuding and sharing those sugars with the fungi and the bacteria who utilize that and in their processes create humified substances that create our aggregated long-term stored carbon that makes up healthy soil systems. And cleans the air. So And cleans the air and, and balances with, the climate. So yeah. when we think about four or 500 million years ago, when the earth didn't have any plants on it, and it was just bacteria and fungi, and it looked like the desert, before photosynthesizing plants that could pull carbon out of the atmosphere and work with the microorganisms, the fungi, that's the thing that balanced our climate and really made it hospitable and able for us to evolve in the first place and created the, the oxygen carbon dioxide balance that we know today. So these are kind of things that I use to bring people into a mindset of like, oh yeah, earth used to be a desert hell looking place. We're turning it into that. And because carbon's not the enemy and there's no such thing as carbon being bad, it's just in the wrong place. We can help nature regenerate and make soil and make biomass that's how it works. The whole system, it's, a, it's an insanely amazing technology with a lot of working parts. And we can't discount the microorganisms like the fungi and the bacteria that are responsible for making 
that soil structure that we we need to to thrive and survive on this planet. Wow. Okay. So, Finian, I want to talk to the home gardeners out there because that they're my people and they're where I see some of the biggest hope because there are a lot of us. Something yes. like 38% of all US households engage in gardening. Something mm. like 42% of all national public radio listeners engage in gardening. So wow. agriculture is huge, and I know it, and, and that's a great target because they cover a lot more physical ground. But the home gardeners are like those little microorganisms. They are little soldiers that, if are if they're sent in the right direction, can work miracles. That's my 100, belief. 100%. I want you to tell me, if you yes. asked every home gardener out there, what do you want to see them do as well as adopt this new understanding and worldview and grasp it? Um, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm going to love this. Um, home gardening is one of the most important things that any individual household or person can do to help restructure and reframe our current system of food production. Number one thing, everyone needs to compost. If you can, do it by all means necessary. YouTube is a great place to learn how to do it. Compost should never have to stink and you should never have to worry about rodents if you do it properly and it's really easy to. Number one recommendation I have for compost to change your paradigm on composting at your house, put your food scrap collector that you have in your house, the little receptacle you have, put that in your freezer so that you never have to deal with fruit flies and you never have to deal with the smells and the gushy compost. And when you take the compost out to to drop it in the bin, it's perfectly frozen so you can spread it and throw leaves on top of it and it's, it's all good. That's number one thing. Number two thing is empower yourself with, when we talk about environmental stewardship and changing the paradigm, empower yourself and your community for the magnitude of the work you're doing on your home garden. Remembering that when we are shipping things from anywhere to provide food for our grocery stores, that is gas, that is diesel, that is cleaning of water usage, that's immense amount of labor costs, all these different things. In terms of environmental stewardship, collectively, we're doing a huge service each individual by by taking that on and spreading it and telling your neighbors it's not just something I do for fun it's not just something I do because I like it this is a huge heroic effort that is literally changing the food paradigm and 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 recognizing that it's bringing into a city it's bringing uh, a new way to look at how cities are I mean there's other countries around the world that their cities are literally producing. Uh, 70, 80% of their food from their city yeah. of produce. So you're a hero if you're doing it and don't just think it's a little petty thing you're doing and, and recognize that you are helping lead the world in this and that I hope that gives you some inspiration to share with your friends. You need to do this, inspire people and say that it's it's bigger than just something I like to do as a pet project. For home gardeners out there, um, read what you can about regenerative agriculture and what you can do and my, one of my recommendations is um, remembering that building soil is, is not easy to do, but utilizing nature and what nature does. Um, oftentimes, we, we try to have everything neat and kempt and, and just the plants, and, and 
remembering that when we're protecting the soil and having the sugars push themselves into the soil from the different plants, we're helping grow the soil. So your relationship with even with weeds and and flowers and different things that could be coming around to help the biodiversity in your ecosystem. Um, read about that, learn about that, so you can be more accustomed to not just uh, just the plants, not just leaving the plants and and bare soil uh, that you're growing. So. Uh, keeping her covered, Earth is designed to be covered with plants. So whatever you can do to make that happen will help the system and help the macro and and the whole uh, recover. Thank you very much, Finney and Make Peace, for joining us today. And I will look forward to both the book and the movie. And thank you for your work. Thank you so much for having me. Finney and Makepeace is co-founder with Ryland Engelhart of Kiss the Ground, an organization, a book, a movement, and a mindset. Ryland Engelhart, co-owner of Cafe Gratitude, heard about soil as a solution to climate change from Graeme Sait, a farming educator at a conference in New Zealand. Ryland learned that building healthy soil has the miraculous ability to sequester carbon from the atmosphere, and he knew in his heart it was a story that had to be shared with the world. And it's not just carbon storage. The ways that soil stands to positively impact lives of billions worldwide are tangible and immediate. Clean water, healthy food, drought resistance, restored habitats. Putting their hearts, wills, and actions to work in 2013, Ryland and Finian co-founded Kiss the Ground. Kiss the Ground, named in honor of the famed poem by Sufi poet Rumi, works to restore soils worldwide by promoting and developing models that accelerate the adoption of regenerative agriculture. The concept behind their work on an agricultural level is also known as climate farming. A very good article on the topic appeared in the 2017 fall issue of Permaculture North America. The concept is also covered in a significant way in the new book by Paul Hawken entitled Drawdown. In November 2017, Kiss the Ground, How the Food You Eat Can Reverse Climate Change, Heal Your Body, and Ultimately Save Our World by Josh Tickell is out from Simon & Schuster. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. If you enjoy Cultivating Place and value these conversations, subscribe to the program on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, give it a rating and review. And most meaningfully, share it with others who value this level of conversation about these things we love and which connect us. Together, we make a difference. Thank you for listening. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Our communications coordinator is Casey Gardner. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.